you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We're back now into our Psalm series. So for those of you that are new, we started in the fall a series in the Psalms called Collide, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms. And what we're learning through the Psalm series is what a healthy spiritual and emotional life looks like for followers of God. Uh, The Psalms model for us private prayer, crying out to God, taking our worries to God. The Psalms also model small group and encouragement relationships, counseling relationships, what that looks like where we are emotionally honest with people uh, and bring that to bear on what God has to say in his word. It also models for us corporate worship, what, what we've just been doing, singing out to God, bringing our cares to him and reflecting his word back to him in song and in celebration. And so we see all these things reflected in the Psalms, and so it helps us to deal with what's going on in our own hearts. Uh, and so we're going to come back to it now, and we've got kind of a weird title this morning as we're marching through the Psalms, Collide with Fretting. Collide with Fretting, probably a word you use every day, right? Fretting, fret. Uh, it's Psalm 37 this morning, and if you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles under the chairs. You could probably see one nearby and grab one of those if you want to follow. We'll be on page 466, 466, collide with fretting. So what in the world does fretting mean? Um, Fretting means basically either worrying or being angry. It's kind of a picture in Hebrew of friction. It literally means a a burning. It's the Hebrew word hara, another word you probably use a lot in your everyday conversation. Um, But it's like this burning, this friction And so depending on our personalities, fretting can be an extroverted thing or an introverted thing, right? I'm more of an introverted person. Uh, So for me, fretting looks more like worry and depression. That ever happened to any of you? Worry, depression sometimes? Uh, For others of you, fretting looks more like anxiety and and anger. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe. Uh, So I think we've covered everyone now, right? We're all covered, either anger, anxiety, depression, worry, whatever it might be, it's this friction where we feel like we need to take care of stuff because God's not taking care of it, right? The world's spinning out of control. God doesn't know what's going on. I better grab the reins myself, right? And sometimes that's more inward, sometimes that's more outward, uh, but it's us burning, worrying, having friction over these things. Um, we're going to see this a lot in the text, and it's, it's 40 verses, so I'm going to give you a homework assignment this week, and that is to study and read the rest of the psalm. I'm not going to try to get all through all 40 verses. I found a long time ago, once I get past like 40 minutes, everyone falls asleep. So um, we're just going to try to cover the main meat of what the psalm is saying this morning, and I'll read the first uh, 10 to 12 verses here. <clears throat> so it says, uh, Psalm 37 of David, says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. 
Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us this morning. God, we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts so that we could see what you're saying. Um, God, some of us come trusting you, but not sure really what this means. Um, Others of us come really not even sure about you. I pray for all of us, God, that you would give us an openness of mind, an openness of heart so we could hear you speaking to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, because fretting is not a common term, uh, it's one of those words that I consider kind of an archaic term. I mean, it is, it's more of an older term that people use. Uh, I, I also notice, though, it's actually in most of the modern translations because I think it's a unique, unique kind of sense of a word that can mean, like I said, kind of either something inward or outward, both anxiety, worry, anger, a lot of these things all rolled into one. So pretty much all the modern translations still hold on to the word because it's kind of a unique word. So I was looking up online to to try to find other definitions for it, and I actually found a great helicopter repair website that had information about fretting. So have any of you ever heard it from a a machinery standpoint? Have you heard the word fretting used with with metal parts? Have you heard that, some of you? Okay. Well, apparently, so some in the back, apparently this can happen to machinery, right? So I want to read you some of the stuff I found online. Fretting corrosion has been the cause of countless failures at the contact points of machinery components. So fretting, this uh, thing that we use metaphorically to talk about the, the friction and the rubbing in our own heart, it, it happens with machinery too. The same word is used. Fretting is, is machine parts rubbing and wearing on each other. Uh, there's a definition they give on this website. It says, fretting is a special wear process that occurs at the contact area between two materials under load and subject to minute relative motion by vibration or some other force. How about that? So we could just say... Uh, stress, friction, right? We sang in a song earlier about freaking out. That's a good definition for fretting, right? Freaking out, uh, stressing out. And this can happen to metal parts as well and machinery, just like it happens to us. It can wear on us and our soul. Um, Years ago, my family and I, we were attending seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, Covenant Seminary out there. uh, And we were returning home just for a summer, we were driving home just for the summer to lead the college ministry uh, at the old church in Temple. And I had borrowed a friend's truck because they were doing ministry overseas, and so they didn't need their truck for the summer, so they were going to let us borrow their truck. And then we had our little car on a trailer hitch behind their truck. So we're driving their truck across Missouri into Texas, and somewhere around like Joplin, all of a sudden, the whole car starts like shaking, right? I feel like I'm getting blown off the road. The truck is just shaking back and forth, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I can see the car on the trailer hitch just swinging like crazy. I, f- I feel like the whole car is about to roll, right? And so I'm slamming on the brakes, and it's just pulling me off the road, and I've, it was like the only median for miles around happened, happened, right, to be right there. And so we skid off the road into this little grassy median area, and finally get the car to a stop, and I figured out that the trailer hitch had this metal pin that apparently had undergone fretting, right? Uh, it had gotten so worn out that this pin just dissolved and, and just kind of disintegrated, fell out. And so on the hitch, you're supposed to have one part that moves and one part that's fixed because of the pin, but both parts were moving, and it was just moving so wildly it almost flipped the whole truck. And that same kind of where 
that happens in metal parts can happen in our own soul. And what the scripture is saying is that we're not made for that, right? There's someone much bigger and much stronger than us that is made to carry the load of the injustice that we see all around us. The world is full of wickedness and full of evil, and we can't bear all of that ourselves. And the scripture comes to us and says, don't fret that yourself. God gives us designated lanes to run in. He gives us stuff to do in this world. He wants us to push back the darkness, but he says, don't worry, don't get angry, don't get anxious about all the craziness we see all around us. Just do what God's put in front of you and don't fret, don't freak out, don't stress out because eventually it wears down the parts, right? Those of you that struggle with long-term anger or anxiety or depression or worry, you know eventually it catches up with your own body, right? It starts to mess up our own body chemistry. It starts to mess up how we function physically. It says, don't fret, don't worry, but trust the Lord. So in the text, we're going to get kind of three big ideas, I think, of what we're supposed to do instead of fretting, right? So instead of fretting, instead of either being angry or worrying, what are we supposed to do? And the first one, I think it's very clear, is delighting in the Lord. We're to delight in the Lord. One of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures is this one in verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Any of you ever heard that verse before? Some of you know that verse. It's a great verse. It's a good one to like write on a card and, and stick on your, on your uh, mirror or your dashboard or something. He says in verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So you're going to see wickedness going on around you. Right? You're going to see people getting ahead by doing the wrong thing. And you're going to be thinking, well, why am I doing the right thing? You know, why, why? This is not paying off, right? You're going to get envious of what's happening in their life. He says in verse 2, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Those of you that have been in Central Texas long, you've seen this happen before, right? Grass fades, it withers. It says in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Keep being about the right things. Trust the Lord to take care of it. Don't feel like you've gotten on the wrong path. But trust him. Trust him to make it work out. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now he's not saying delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you that new house. right? He's not saying delight yourself in the Lord and he'll, you'll trick him into giving you the thing you really want because you don't really want the Lord. You want this other thing. So delight in him for five minutes and then he'll be tricked and you'll get the other thing that you really delight in. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you your delight. He'll give you more of himself. As we delight ourselves in him, he gives us more of himself. So often the problem we have in our life is that we don't delight in him. I delight in the TV or I delight in the car or I delight in another relationship or more money or whatever it may be. I'm delighting in these other things. They're my gods. I'm not delighting in him. We hear a verse like this. We're trapped this pattern, this addiction to these other gods, and I think, oh, here's the secret. If I delight in God, then I'll get these other gods. That's not how he works. He's a jealous God. He says, no, delight in me, and you'll get more of me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart, which is ultimately what we need and should be ultimately what we want. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think what this process looks like 
in a sense, when, when we're walking around in the ugliness of this world, is being able to look up and see him as the true beauty that overshadows all the junk that we walk in day to day, right? We get frustrated by evildoers, it says. Don't be envious of wrongdoers. Don't fret yourself because of evildoers. He's saying, look up. Look up at how awesome he is. Look up at how good he is. Get a vision of his beauty. I think a, a metaphor for this, I'm not saying this movie is this uh, biblical Christian movie, but a metaphor for this is in the movie Shawshank Redemption. Some of you have probably seen this movie. Uh, if you haven't, I'm not necessarily recommending it, but uh, it, it's got some images here that are helpful, right? It's the idea of this man, Andy Dufresne, being uh, wrongfully put in prison, and he's in this horror, the ugliness, this place of wrongdoers and evildoers in prison, and he's trying to find moments to delight in beauty and truth and goodness outside of the ugliness that he's living in day to day. So I've got a scene here from the movie where you see the loudspeaker and all the people in the prison yard just looking up at the loudspeaker, kind of like with this you know, funny look in their eye, because he snuck into the uh, broadcasting booth and began broadcasting, playing beautiful classical music over the loudspeaker. He knew he was going to get beaten up and thrown into solitary confinement for it, but it was worth it for him. He just wanted a moment of beauty. So you have this, uh, this other picture of him sitting back, uh, enjoying it, right? He's just sitting back, soaking up the beauty for a moment, knowing he's going to get slammed here in a minute. But he just wanted to find that moment of beauty to delight in. Well, as I said, this is a metaphor, right? I'm not telling you to go sneak in somewhere and play classical music. I'm saying even better than that, right? Those are, those are little windows, little moments that remind us of God, but even better than that, delight in God himself. See him in the moments of ugliness day to day that we're living in. Find ways to steal those moments of, God, you're, you're beautiful. You're better than this. I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna remember that the evil that I'm dealing with day to day is gonna wither. It's going to fade. This is not how things are going to continue to go because God is ultimate. He is beautiful. He is good. So we're going to delight in him, recognizing that he's going to outlast all this junk that we're dealing with day to day, the unfairness and people treating us wrongly, us treating people wrongly, this the stuff that goes on outside of us and in, even in our own heart. It's, it's going to wither. It's going to fade. It's going to go away, he says. And so we trust him and we look out beyond ourselves. As we're going through this process, I, I think what this looks like is the old phrase, maybe you've heard your grandparents say this, count your blessings. You ever heard that phrase before? Count your blessings. It's a great, that's a great uh, discipline in our life. But I would say that something needs to happen before that. And this is important. This is just something I learned from experience, and I think this is biblical, is grieve first before you count your blessings, Okay? Grieve first and then count your blessings. See, what you see in the Psalms throughout the book of Psalms and here in this Psalm as well is the psalmist wrestling with there is evil, there is wrongdoing, there is this bad thing and that bad thing and so I'm gonna choose to leave the bad stuff and trust in the Lord, right? I'm gonna delight in him despite the bad stuff and so we have to take that step of saying this is bad stuff, right? I'm dying or uh, my friend is dying or someone I love is, is angry and bitter or uh, we just lost all our retirement or whatever it may be, that's bad. Say, say this, is, this is death creeping in. Th- this is something evil and wicked in this world and it's broken. And Name it for what it is and then, and then delight in the Lord. Uh, my uh, family and I, we had a fire in our house years ago. I think it's been like eight years now maybe. It was right before we started this church. It was kind of how God 
encouraged us to, to get out of temple and move over here. Um, that's another side of the story, right? But I remember in the moment, it was a terrible thing having a house fire. But the house wasn't burned down, and none of us were injured. And so what all my Christian friends did in the moment was they rushed to count blessings, right? And if some of you here did that, I'm not like bitter toward you, don't worry about it. But I just learned through that experience that, you know, I wish someone had cried with us for a moment first before they went on to count blessings, because everybody just rushed to be like, but everybody's okay, but everything's fine, right? Well, you know, we were out of our house, and it was on fire, and there's all kind of smoke damp. I mean, it was pretty scary and pretty bad, and we wanted to, we wanted to sit there for a moment and say, yeah, this stinks, and then, and then say, God, thanks for saving us. We, we delight you in you. We trust you. You're our hope, and so that, that, that is my caution on this, is stop and pause and say, this is bad, and then count your blessings, right? Stop and face the reality and say, this is broken, but God, I'm going to delight in you because you're bigger and better and more beautiful than this brokenness I'm in right now. And so I think that's an important part in the process so that it doesn't become fake, so it doesn't become forced. As Christians, in Romans it says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. We're called to live through those moments with each other. But then as we go through that, then to delight ourselves in the Lord. Then, then to go through that and say, but God, I trust you. I trust that this evil is withering. I trust that this stuff is fading away and that you're my hope. One of the practical ways that we delight in the Lord is through singing, right? Uh, In Acts, you see in Acts, Paul and his guys preaching, and then they get thrown in prison, and then they they sing in prison. Like, that's crazy. I I think for a moment, probably, they were like, wow, this stinks. We got beat up. But then they began delighting in the Lord, and they were singing praises to him. That's, That's part of the discipline of God's people for millennia, right? In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we gather in buildings, we gather in secret rooms where it's illegal, and we sing praises to God. That's just something God's people have always done. So some of you are not musical. Just join with us and, and mumble and shout your joyful noises. That's cool. Join with us, but that's part of how God's people delight in the Lord, is by singing and proclaiming with, with words, with your body, by clapping, by jumping, by shouting, by screaming out to him, you're good. I delight in you. That's a discipline of the Christian life. The other thing that I think is really good is finding verses that really speak to your own heart, that really connect you with that delight that, that God has for you. Like I said, this, this is one of those verses for me. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Write those down and you know, put them on your, on your screen, on your device, whatever. You know, there's too many devices to name now. But put them on your screen of something, whatever you use, right? Uh, write them the old-fashioned way on paper and, and stick them on something. Put them in, on your mirror in your car. Put them on your mirror when you brush your teeth in the morning. But, but hold on to these verses that speak to you personally. Find those verses that help you to delight in the Lord. There's going to be verses that are going to speak to you in a way they don't speak to me. I'm not going to tell you which verses to grab, but grab hold of these verses that help you delight yourself in the Lord so you can savor them and uh, learn them and love them. This is a harder one that I think we're supposed to do uh, it says, don't fret, but be still. Don't fret, but be still. And I want to look at basically verses 5 through 11 here as we think about the idea of being still. Verse 5, I just want to explain the meaning of verse 5 first, and then we'll read the rest of these verses. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So again, just like before, you were trusting that evil would fade and God would do something about it, so you don't, so you can delight in the Lord. Here, he's saying you can be still because the Lord will act. He will act. That's our hope. We're going to see that more and more through the psalm. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. This word commit 
uh, in Hebrew is galal, and it means to roll, literally. And so it's a picture of like you're rolling this boulder onto him. And so another place that this appears is in Psalm 55, where it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So it's this picture of galal, rolling your burden onto him. He'll, he'll hold it. He's big enough to hold it. Proverbs 16, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So again, it's this idea of rolling it onto him. In the New Testament, this concept is picked up in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, right? Anybody heard that verse before? So the idea is, is you're rolling into him, you're, you're pushing the burden on him, and you can be still. You don't have to fret and worry and fight. You can be still. He goes on in verse 6, and he says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. This is the promise. Those that wait will inherit. It says, be still. Verse 10 says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The humble, the meek. Do you recognize that verse? Jesus quotes it later on, right in the Sermon on the Mount. The meek shall inherit the earth. There's this picture of God's people inheriting the land, the those that are wicked, those that are evil, those that are unjust, they're, they're taking over, they're fighting, they're abusing the poor and, and the needy. And the psalmist reminds us, but that's not going to last. Be still, wait. God, God gives us lanes to run in, right? He gives us gifts. We all have jobs. We all have a calling. God's gifted us in unique ways. And, that, and that's the fight for us to fight. But we can't fight everything all at once, right? There's going to be constant injustice and turmoil, and wickedness all around us. This is a broken world. And he's saying, yeah, fight in your lane. Do do your thing. I've called you to do this. If you're an educator, I've called you to educate. If you're a soldier, I've called you to be a soldier. If you're a teacher, I've called you to teach. Uh, If you're a business, I've called business owner, I've called you to build that business, provide these services. Fight fight in that lane. But you got to stop and take a breath and be still and recognize that God ultimately is the one that's going to win this war. He's ultimately the one that's up above the fray and he's achieving his justice and there's going to be this day when he's going to make all things right. And the the wicked are going to be separated from the just and the just are those that actually trust in God and his justice. They're the ones that say, God's got this. I'm going to do the right thing because God is in control. You see, if we don't think God's in control, that's when we start cutting corners. That's when we start breaking commandments because we think, God doesn't know what he's doing. I better take control myself, right? I better fix this situation. But if you pause and if you're still and if you wait on him, then you can actually begin living that righteous life of trusting him and doing doing what he tells you to do. That's the difference. I have a picture here to illustrate that of the boxer. Have you all ever seen this? It's like a famous sculpture of the boxer, this bronze sculpture. And when you watch a boxing match, you know, they go back to their corner to rest, to get taped up, to get some water. And they take a breather. I think what the psalmist is saying here, he's not saying be lazy and don't ever do anything, right? I mean, this is in the framework of the, the covenant relationship that God has with his people where he says, work six days and rest one. 
So he's not saying don't ever fight. He's not saying don't ever get agitated. He's not saying don't ever do anything. This is not let go and let God, like you're sitting on a hammock and you don't do anything the rest of your life. That's not the life of faith, right? The life of faith is trusting God so then you're obedient with what he's told you to do. But you can't fight everything all at once. You can't fret over everything. You can't worry about all evil and all injustice. You have to do what God's put in front of you. So what does it look like if you're, if you're caught in a cycle of fretting? One of the things the psalm keeps doing is it keeps taking us back to God's going to fix this, God's going to fix this, God's going to fix this. So be still because God's going to fix it. So if you look at verses uh, 12, 13, 14, it talks about this again. In verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Verse 13 says, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. So we take heart in God is that big. He just laughs at the wicked. The wicked are nothing to him. Again, the, the image of grass fading away. It's momentary. The Lord laughs because the wicked will be destroyed. And that's a warning to us as well that God sees what we're doing and, and our, our evil works will be destroyed. Again, that's, that's an encouragement for us to not fight against God. It says in verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy. The wicked always pick on the weak. It says to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their swords shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. He's saying that the, the wicked's weapons will be turned against themselves. So in the end, if we think we're going to get ahead, if we, right, if, we, if we lose our faith and begin to say, well, God doesn't know what he's doing, so I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to break commandments and scrap and fight and do whatever I need to get ahead. God says, those things that we're doing to get ahead are going to turn against us. So the Bible's description of sin is that it's this uh, suicidal endeavor. Sin is actually something we do that is killing us, and we think it's giving us life. It gives us life today, and it's killing us tomorrow. And so sin is always an addiction that doesn't pay off in the end. But when we trust God, he sets us free. And he's the one that says, I'm going to overcome this. And the wicked are going to end up killing themselves with their own weapons. So, so what do we do? I think w- when we find it kind of coming up in our own heart, best thing to do is just stop, right, and count to 10. You, you, if you ever taught your kids that, right? Your kids are freaking out. So just stop, take a deep breath, count to 10, right? Pray. Say, God, will you help me? Help me to be still. Memorize these, some of these verses. Help me to be still and trust that you've got this, God. Help me to trust that you've got this, that you are in control, that you are working out your justice in the world. Help me to trust you in this moment, Lord. For some of you, you continue to be caught in a, in a cycle of anxiety, a cycle of worry, a cycle of anger and outbursts. So I would encourage you to take further steps. Don't just stop and count to 10, but take other steps. Begin to build a plan, right? Find help. There are great Christian counselors in the area. You could talk to one of us at the church, we'd love to talk to you about this or join one of the groups that we have at the church. Like Celebrate Recovery is designed specifically for helping people move beyond ongoing habits and hang-ups that, that they feel stuck in. It's a, a system of, of just, it's just simple Christian discipleship, learning to follow Jesus, but it's a system to do that so you can begin to move beyond these places where you're stuck. One of my favorite resources for the subject of, of moving beyond sins that have a grip on our heart uh, addiction to worry or addiction to anger. One of my favorite books is Redemption by Mike Wilkerson. I'd recommend, that. I'd recommend every Christian in our body read that book. It's got some 
It's a Christian book, but it's got it's R, an R-rated Christian book, we'll say. Um, it's got some hard stuff in it, but it's one of the best Christian books I've ever read. I would recommend that to you as well if, if you feel caught in those cycles. Like I said, either the inward fretting of worry and depression or the outward fretting of outbursts, anxiety, and anger. It's a book that's helped me in my own walk to grow past some of these things. So I recommend those resources to you. Celebrate recovery, uh, redemption. Grab a small group leader or a friend and ask them to pray for you. Enlist Christian community in the process. The last thing that we're told to do in Psalm 37 is to do good. So instead of fretting, we should do good, right? Fretting is like we're either angry and we're bursting out in anger or we're worrying and we're turning inward, but instead we should do good. And there's this image of the righteous doing good things and being generous, being being do-gooders in the world. That, that's the role that we should have in the world. Read verse 16. It says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. So saying, don't envy these guys. Right? He keeps saying, don't envy. It's better to have a little than have the abundance that the wicked have. Why? Verse 17, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Okay, well, that sounds bad. But the Lord upholds the righteous. So he gives us this contrast, right? These guys are going to get the beat down. But God's going to uphold the righteous. He goes on in verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. So we're building a, an eternal heritage, right? Like you think you're doing the hard work of building a family, loving them, uh, reading the scriptures to your kids, being faithful at work, what, you know, whatever those little things look like day to day. And he's saying, that's an eternal heritage you're building. Don't just build the bank account, but, but build this kind of eternal heritage that lasts beyond just the grass that fades today. He says in verse 19, they're not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. Times get hard. Those that have a little but have earned it righteously, they're going to make it. God's going to sustain them. It says in verse 20, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. So part of doing good is we're generous. We're generous with what we have. We don't hold on to it like uh, someone that doesn't think we're ever going to have any more, but we hold on to it loosely as sons and daughters of the king, feeling like we got everything we need. We're going to be fine, so we can be generous. He says in verse uh, 22, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So here's another picture. He says, we'll stumble, we will fall, right? This isn't the prosperity gospel where it says, if you have enough faith, everything will be rosy. It's saying, yeah, it's a world of evil and injustice and you will fall and you're going to struggle. You're going to fall into a ditch, but God ultimately has your hand. He's going to pick you back up and you're going to be okay, all right? He says in verse, uh, and I lost place, verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. I want to go on, but like I said, I'm not going to do the whole psalm, but let me zero in on this one part here. He says, I've been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Or his children begging for bread. He's ever lending generously. He's talking what we would say proverbially, uh, proverbially here. 
He's talking about kind of how the world generally works. Uh, we, we have the book of Job and the same Bible, right? And we understand that sometimes evil happens to righteous people for no other reason uh, than that God would be exalted in a mysterious way through that suffering. And none of us want to play that role, right? None of us want to walk that road. But here David is saying, the way the world normally works, those that trust God work hard, take care of their business, things are going to be okay, right? It's not, again, it's not the prosperity gospel of your guarantee is to have everything you ever want, right? The, the misreading of Psalm 37.4 earlier where we say, if we delight ourselves in the Lord for five minutes, then we'll get the TV that we really want because we don't want the Lord. That's not what it's talking about. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you more of himself and we have an eternal inheritance in him. But David's saying the general way that things work is, is you might struggle, you might fall, but, but generally things work out better for those that trust God. Generally that's how the world goes. That's what we teach our kids. Work hard. Take care of your business. Do what you're supposed to do. And generally things are going to work out for you. But the generally things working out for us is not the goal. We want more of God. And the goal is that future we look forward to, the, what theologians call the eschatological vision, the, the end times vision of all things being made right and being face to face with our Savior. That's what we look forward to. That's what we look forward to, being with Him. There's two ways that we can uh, do good, right? There's ways that we can do good that hurt others, and there's ways that we can do good that ultimately help them. I want to give you a couple of illustrations um, payday loan store. Have you ever seen a payday loan shop? Um, if, if you own one of these, I apologize. You can talk to me afterwards and file a formal complaint. But I would argue, uh, for the most part, from what I understand, I'm no economist, but from what I understand, these hurt the poor. These uh, enslave the poor uh, into worse trouble than they were already in. It's basically how these things operate. They're taking advantage of the poor and the needy, the, the picture of the wicked that he talks about here in Psalm 37. It's not a good thing. It's, it's a bad it's a bad business, a bad situation. It's not the thing that helps people long term. Um, there's another picture. I think this is an alternative. I have a picture of pigs, right? So an alternative is pigs. Uh, this is a picture, a real picture from one of our trips to Guatemala two years ago when we gave pigs to people, right? We didn't give them bacon, say, you know, slap them on the back and say, see you later. We gave them pigs, right? We were, we were trying to empower them in their own business. So they would uh, breed the pigs and grow the pigs and have their own business. It was an ongoing, multiplying business. There's different ways that we can help people. We can help people in simple ways where we're not thinking and we just throw something at them and turn the other way, or there's ways that we can help them long-term. And, and there's a great book that describes this, a book called When Helping Hurts by Brian Fickert. I would recommend that book. We've A lot of us have read it in our uh, journeys to Guatemala to understand better how to help people in a long-term way, in a way that's sustainable, in a way that's not just us swooping in as arrogant Americans, making things worse than they were before, but coming in and helping them in a sustainable way, helping them long-term. So I'd encourage you to study better. Like, how can, how can I be the kind of person that's generous, that actually helps people in a long-term way that's helpful, that doesn't make things worse than when I met them? Um, another book that I would recommend to you also as a resource is a book called Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Uh, some of you uh, may not believe that it's our job to be generous, right? So this is a great book to start with you. If, if you already believe it's our job to be generous, When Helping Hurts will help you do it more effectively. But if you're not even sure about it, uh, Generous Justice is more of a convincing you that it's the job of Christians to do good and be generous to the needy, to be generous to the poor, like it talks about here in Psalm 37, to be generous people to be helping others, to be free with what we have. And then another thing I'd say is some of you 
need to physically get in a place where you can be generous. Uh, You can do good materially to other people. You're just not in a spot where you can do that because you're enslaved to your own debt. Um, Because thing collecting things has maybe been your God before, or maybe it's been some other heartache or sickness or some other difficulty that's come in from the outside, wickedness and evil. Um, But you can take steps to get back on the right track to get that under control. And I would say one of the best things I've I've been counseled through this a couple of times myself. Um, I'm more I'm better with words than with numbers. I've told you all this before, right? So I've had to have friends, Christian friends, counsel us and help us get on track with our budget. And we had that happen once, and then a few years later, we had to do it again because we fell off the wagon, right? And one of the first things both times that we had to do is we had to actually figure out what we were spending. So that's just a take-home for you. That's free. You don't want me to be your budget counselor, so I'm not going to give you any more advice. I would say get a Dave Ramsey book or listen to his show or, or Crown Ministries is another ministry that will help you do that. We'll probably offer a class here uh, in a few weeks on, on budgeting and helping get that stuff under under control so that you can be generous with what you have. Um, but the first step is just figuring out what you're spending. Just, just trying, right? That goes a long way. Just try, figure out what you're spending, try to get control of that stuff, and then you can be generous. We'd encourage you to give towards gospel-centered ministries, stuff like what we're doing in Guatemala. If you consider this church your home, giving towards the ministries of this church, giving towards other ministries in town that help hurting people, things like Hope Pregnancy Center that we talk about a lot. But we want to be the kind of people they give to others. That's, that's what Christians should be marked by. We do good, we give generously. Well, I want to conclude just by looking at the last two verses. So let's wrap it up with the last two verses. And like I said, it'll be your homework uh, to come back to this and look at the rest of the psalm this week. But he wraps up in 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. It's this beautiful, uh, hard to believe because it's free offer. If we just ask him, he will save us. The, the rest of the story in the New Testament is that Jesus came and he fretted for us. You know, we've talked about we shouldn't fret because it eventually destroys us. Well, Jesus was destroyed for us. That's the story of the gospel, that Jesus took our place. He died the death that we couldn't die. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He, he was our substitute. And so my invitation to you this morning is, is not just to apply these things in a practical way, but to take refuge in the Lord, to seek the offer of life that he holds out to us. We're going to close in communion together. And I would invite you perhaps to make this the first time you've taken communion, understanding that Jesus gave his body and blood for you. I'd love you to join in with us. I'm going to pray and ask the men to come forward while I pray. God, we thank you that you do love us and you proved that through the cross that you gave yourself for us. Thank you that you rose from the dead and guarantee our life. We pray that that would help us not to fret over evil. God, help us to trust you. Help us most of all to delight ourselves in you, to take refuge in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.